0: Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. We're talking about uh, new year, new you, living a life of conviction this morning. Uh, as you're turning there, I just wanted to say, take a quick second and say thank you uh, to everyone, excuse me, through the holiday season for gifts and cards and uh, pleasantries and and all the things uh, that the church graciously, graciously gives. We appreciate that uh, very much. I uh, appreciated a little bit of time off last week. I uh, got to sleep in a few days and spend some good time with family and um, certainly appreciate that, and uh, thankful to Stuart for taking a, a long list of things to get ready and getting it all ready next, last week and, and for Drew preaching and um, just appreciative of all those things. So Hebrews 11 chapter one, I want to ask you something this morning. Uh, what is it that you trust? What is it that is your anchor for the storms of life? We call our Wednesday night meetings anchor because we believe Jesus is the anchor. What keeps you full steam ahead without getting tossed to and fro? I want you to think have that in the back of your mind as we're talking about what we're talking about this morning. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 11, and we're just looking at verse one, it says, "Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Faith is the reality," or your translation may should say, the assurance." The reality, the assurance of the hope is the proof or conviction of what's not seen. Faith is, the students have heard me say this a hundred times, faith is simply belief and trust in action. Faith is belief and trust in action. Notice here in this verse, it says belief, excuse me, it says is reality. Now faith is the reality. It is the current reality and assurance of what is hoped for, of what is expected. We do that word hope a disservice. We almost think of it as wish. Now, hope when when used in scripture is, is something that is of expectation. Faith is reality. It is the assurance of what is expected. So here's the order. One, there is a thing or intended outcome that is expected. First. Second, In belief and trust, you act or you conduct yourself in a way like that thing expected already exists or like that intended outcome has already happened. That's following Jesus 101. That's having faith. Faith in Jesus is conducting ourselves in a way as if Jesus has already come back and heaven already surrounds us. In other words, just... To live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. So if you're here this morning and you're checking out Christianity, that's what Christianity is. It's living your life as if Jesus has already come back and things have already been set right. That's what it is. Belief and trust in action. What I'd like for us to do just a little while this morning is to focus on this in a way. Conduct ourselves in a way. This this in a way part of this verse. In a way. Go back to verse Uh, One there in chapter 11. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The proof of what is not seen. The proof. Or the conviction. Of what is not seen. That word there for proof or conviction that we use in English. In the Greek is So, It's meaning. Evidence that makes someone fully agree. Understand. And realize. The truth of something. That word, the meaning of it is evidence that makes someone fully agree, understand, and realize the truth of something. We use the word conviction. It's the same, it's the word we use in English to try to display that same truth, conviction. That's a word that carries some weight to it for sure. It's a word I believe that we have distorted to some degree to mean guilt and shame. The word literally means the state of being convinced. That's what conviction means. The state of being convinced. The word really is only used kind of in two places nowadays, I think. One is in the courtroom. The jury finds a conviction if the evidence convinces them there was a crime. And in church, we use this word. I felt conviction. I feel conviction convicted and we mean it usually as I feel bad for the sin in my life that's usually what we mean when we say that we feel convicted you know we've done something wrong and now we feel bad about it missing all along what has really happened when we feel convicted God through his word and his holy spirit spirit has convinced you or me has convinced you where you're out of line with who God is and what He wants. Conviction is not feeling bad. Conviction is elenchos, Evidence that makes someone fully agree, understand, and realize the truth of something. Conviction is not a tool of shame and guilt to manipulate and control behavior. Conviction is truth. God's truth. Being convinced of God's truth. That's what conviction is. And conviction is an easy thing to uh, illustrate, usually with sports. I can give you a simple example from my life. Um, my junior year, we lost to a team from a town called Jacksonville. Uh, and because of that, we tied for the district championship, which is the same as the conference championship here. Um, we tied with them for the conference championship. Going into the next year, my senior class was not very good as freshmen, uh, and we were all kind of, we were going to be the seniors and the leaders of the team, and so we were going to be the first team, since this new coaching staff had gotten there, to not win the district championship. Had run it four years in a row, and our our senior class was going to be the one that broke that streak. We weren't good enough. Everybody was telling us that we weren't good enough. The papers picked us, you know, in the middle of the pack. Nobody thought we were going to be anywhere near the top. Nobody except for us, obviously. Um, so going into that off season and, and I'm not using hyperbole to make a point. This is, this is straight how it happened. When we worked out in the off season, you do squats and bench press and all that type of stuff. And squats are usually the hardest thing. And, and your last set of squat is really hard. So every time we get to our last set of squat, me and the closest guys in, in our senior class, we would say, before we got under the bar, we would say, this is for Jacksonville. This is for Jacksonville. Every week for months, this is for Jacksonville. The last sprint, this is for Jacksonville, right? Two days when it's hot and you want to quit and you want to give it up, this is for Jacksonville all the time. Because we knew without a doubt that to win the district championship, it was going to be that last game. It was the 10th game of the regular season. And to win it, we were going to have to beat them. And we were convinced that we could beat them. Although no one else, (laughs) no one else was convinced of that. No one even thought it was a possibility, to be honest course I wouldn't be telling you this if it didn't happen but we get to the game we're down 14 second half things aren't going our way they are a lot more talented than we are uh, their quarterback matter of fact just finished his NFL career as a backup quarterback Luke McCown you may have heard him he was pretty good and I didn't like him but he was good uh, <laughs> their right tackle was division one their running back was division one they were a lot better than us um, our center was 160 pounds in 4A in Texas which is just not very good um so we're down 14, and we get to a fourth and short on about, the, on about our 40-yard line. They have the ball, and they decide to go for it. And I mean it's probably six inches. It was the right call by their, their coach. If I was their coach, I would have made that call. If our coach was in that situation, he would have made that call. It was the right call. They were bigger than us. They were stronger than us. And if they get this first down, they're pretty much fishing to put us away. We stop them. We go down and score. Next possession. Fumble recovery. We go down and score. Stop them again. Get the ball. Drive down. Three seconds left on the clock. Kick a field goal. About 45 yards, 42, 43 yards from the right hash. Goes through the uprights. Time expires. We win. Why? Because for almost nine months, we had conducted ourselves in a way like we were convinced that was already going to happen. We believed, that's another word we use for it, we believed that was going to happen. We knew that was going to happen. We were absolutely, positively convinced that we were A, not going to be the class to break the streak, and that B, to keep the streak going of district championships, we were going to have to beat Jacksonville. And we did, and we shouldn't have, and we did. And it's a simple example of how we conduct ourselves whenever we're convinced of the outcome. We know this is what is going to happen, we know this is what needs to happen, and we do the things in order to make it happen. Being convinced. You see, I'm convinced that the number one problem in the church today, not our church, specifically the church, especially the North American church, the number one problem in the church today. The number one problem in the church as in the group of believers that call themselves Christians that say they follow Jesus. The number one problem in the church today is not a lack of education or finances or organizational structure or facilities or styles or the proper decorum or dress or any of that other stuff. The number one problem today in the church is cultural Christians living with a lack of conviction. I truly believe that. Cultural Christians living with a lack of conviction. A lack of living from a place of being convinced of God's truth. See, we don't need another book unless we're going to live it with conviction. We don't need another study unless we're going to live it with conviction. We don't need more knowledge unless we're going to live it with conviction. We don't need the right clothes, the right spouse, the right job. We don't need the right government. We don't need the right policies. We don't need the right president. God help us. We need conviction. None of that other stuff will make a dent in anything unless and until the followers of Jesus start living Life with conviction. Conviction leads to repentance. Conviction leads to salvation. Conviction leads to revival. Conviction leads to changed hearts and changed lives. Conviction leads to obedience. Conviction leads to freedom. It leads to purpose. Conviction leads to meaning. Not from guilt. Not from shame. Not from control. But from hope. From assurance. When you live life convinced. Of God's truth about life. You won't be concerned about your reputation. You'll be too busy developing your character. You won't be concerned with your status in society. You'll be too busy serving. You won't be fixated on the things that you can see. As if they matter most. Because you'll be too busy living life for the things you can't see because you are convinced they are coming. Jesus is coming. Everlasting life is coming. God in all His fullness and glory is coming. And heaven is coming. So we should live like it today. Make it your reality now. Live with conviction. So... What happens when we don't? What happens when we don't live with conviction? When we live with preference? I prefer Christianity. I'm not convinced of Christianity. I don't live with conviction. I just kind of prefer it. I prefer Jesus. I mean, it's better than the other choices, I guess. What happens when we live like that? First off, people who don't call themselves Christians look at those who do call themselves Christians and say, I don't get it. I don't get it. To the non-followers of Jesus, it comes off as phony. And in many cases, it comes off that way probably because it is phony. What we want to be is like like George Whitfield, you may have heard of him, old time preacher, eighteenth century. there was a guy named David Hume, who was a famous 18th century British philosopher who rejected Christianity, rejected historic Christianity, and one time in London, he met a friend hurrying along a London street, and he asked him where he was going. the friend said i 'm off to hear George Whitfield preach." and David Hume said. Surely you don't believe that, do you? And the friend said, No, but he does. Nope, but he does. See, they may, <laughs> they may not believe it yet, but they'll be interested. They may not believe it yet, but they know you do. They need to be convinced that you're convinced. They need to be convinced that I'm convinced. That I'm living my life from a place of conviction. A place that I know. I'm convinced that what I'm doing is God's truth. I'm convinced of who Jesus is. I'm convinced that He changed my life by changing my heart. I'm convinced that He's done the same thing for people that I know. I'm convinced that He's been doing it for people for thousands of years now. I'm convinced of that. You're convinced of that. we got to live like we're convinced of that. They may not believe it yet, but they'll know you do. And at least they'll be interested in what you believe. But what else? What else happens if we don't live like that? Look back in chapter 10, just a couple paragraphs back from where we were in chapter 11, starting in verse 32. Author of Hebrews is kind of given a reminder To the audience that the Hebrew letter was sent to. Remember the earlier days when. After you had been enlightened. Means you'd been shared with Jesus had been shared with you. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with prisoners. And accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Which is a really fancy nice way of saying. It didn't bother you that your stuff got stolen knowing that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. Then we quote the Old Testament here, 37. For yet in a very little while the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed. So he gives them a little quick lesson there. Hey, you've been through tough stuff. Don't turn away from it now. You had your confidence. Don't turn away from it now. Because the ones that do, God takes no pleasure in. And it leads to destruction. I don't know about you, but that's not what I want said about my life. Simply put, a life without conviction is a life of delusion, which means saying one thing and doing the other. A life without conviction is a life of delusion and a life of destruction. But with conviction, with conviction, verse 39 where we just left off, but with conviction, we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life with conviction we have life everlasting life eternal life real life the life that we all deep down long for the life that we know does not exist in the world but the life that we know is coming and because we know and are convinced that it is coming we live as if it's already happening right now and the world takes notice the world says what is that I don't ever see that out there. What is that? It's not because we pretend like we never say a cuss word when we stomp our toe. Or we duck our head when we're in the store buying something we shouldn't be buying. So they don't see us. It's not because we pretend to be exceptionally moral. Because most of the time we're not exceptionally moral. It's because we love and forgive. And we take care of each other. And we create a world that is not like this world understands. And it's not like they ever experience or see. That's what we're supposed to be doing on a daily basis. Every day. Living as if Jesus has already come back. Heaven already exists. We are already in everlasting life. Because we're convinced that it's going to happen. And if you're convinced something is going to happen, you prepare for it. And you live like it already happens. Like it's already there. It's already the reality. It is the reality. Faith, faith is the reality. And then the author of Hebrews goes on here. It's probably some of your favorite, some of you guys' favorite passage. I love this passage. He goes on and he, and he, and he goes to describe what many call the, the Faith Hall of Fame in the rest of chapter 11. The Faith Hall of Fame. People that, simply put, they simply just lived. With belief and trust and action. In a state of being convinced of God's truth. People who lived by faith. People like chapter 11. People like Abel. Who offer a better sacrifice. People like Noah. Building the ark. Or Abraham following the call to a new land. To a new nation. Or Sarah giving birth in her uh, upward age. Or Abraham again willing to give up Isaac. Knowing Knowing God would have to bring him back somehow. Because God always keeps his promises. How could, how could Abraham even think about offering Isaac? Because he knew God had said, through him, I'm going to give you a nation. So if I'm going to have to offer him up as a sacrifice, you must be planning on bringing him back. So here he is. Thankfully, the loving God changed history forever and said, no, I'm not going to ask for your son. I'll give you my son instead. Or Joseph in e- Egypt. And on and on and on. The heroes of faith. So what are we to do in, all, in all light of all this? These examples. The, this truth. That faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The conviction. The proof of things not yet seen. What are we to do with that? Look over at chapter 12. Look over a page says, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because of all this, because of these examples of faith, because of what faith means. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, talking about the Hall of Fame he just described and people around them also, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before Him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Therefore, because of what faith is, what God desires through faith, because of what your faith is in, which is in the price paid on the cross by Jesus and the fact that he rose again and that he says he's coming back to do the same for all those who have faith in him. Therefore, all of that, therefore these examples from Noah and Abraham and all these examples he lit, Therefore, because of all that, what does he tell us? Stop wasting time on stupid sin and start running the race with your eyes on the prize. We should just stop wasting our time with stupid, ridiculous, trivial sin. And start running the race with our eyes on the prize as if we know that we're going to win. Because the last time I checked and you checked, we know Jesus has already won. (laughs) He's already won. The race we're winning is predetermined. We're not trying to win a championship, the championship's already been won. Jesus has already won. Death is defeated. Sin, where is your victory? The tomb is empty. Heaven is rejoicing. He is coming soon. And we best be found like the servant waiting on the master's return because he's coming soon. We should be convinced of that. Living like we're convinced of that knowing that it's coming, maybe in an hour, maybe in a thousand years, but either way, in our lifetime, however long that is, we should be living, convinced of the truth of God. Convinced of God's goodness. Convinced of God's faithfulness. Convinced of God's love. Convinced that Jesus is who He says He is. And He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. We should be living like we actually believe that. Like we're truly convinced of that. And when we do, the world will go, what is going on? Where has this been? I thought Christianity just meant you had to get up early on Sunday morning and go to a building. Because that's all I've ever seen all my life, Christians do. Get up. Go to church on Sunday, come to work on Monday, ain't any different than me. Not not different in how we dress, not different in how we look, not different in how we pretend like we're good, different in how we share truth, how we're open about the fact that we know we're not good, God is good, Jesus is good, I'm not good, God is good. I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm trying to follow Jesus because He's perfect. I can't work my way to heaven. I don't need to work my way to heaven. Jesus already took care of it. That's how we ought to be acting on Monday morning at work. That's what changes people's lives. That's what opens their heart to God. Not us pretending like we're somebody. We're not somebody. We're not special. God is somebody. God is special. only difference between you and me and the rest of the world, there's only one difference. You're either a follower of Jesus or you're not. You're either forgiven or you're not. Other than that, there's all stuff we've made up to try to make ourselves feel special and good. And somebody. And we're not. And I love every one of you. Deeply. I think you're somebody. But you're not. <laughs> and neither am I. God's somebody. And when are we going to start acting like it? When are we going to walk out of here and be different? Different than the world. Different than we were before we came in. When are we going to come in here and sing to God Almighty? The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The Ruler of Heaven and all of Earth. We're going to, when are we going to come in here and sing to Him Like He actually is that. And not just some heavenly being. Just some, I don't know, mad old man or whatever it is that we think God is. I mean, are we convinced of it or not? Did Jesus die on the cross for your sins and my sins or not? Are you forgiven now and forever or not? Is God good or not? Is He loving or not? It, it, the world has seen enough namby-pamby Christianity flailing around in the wind over here one day and over here that day. Not sure what we believe this day, not sure what we believe that day. Showing up for another study ain't going to change nothing. Showing up to gain more knowledge not going to change a thing because it stays right here and never goes Here. Here. Here is where conviction lives. Here is where conviction lives. You don't live with conviction from here. It's here. That's how you endure the things that, that the author of Hebrews lays out. He goes on to say ho- crazy, horrible things that happened to these Christians. Sawed in half. Eaten by lions. Every one of them. Happy to do their part. Because they're convinced that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. They're convinced of it. And they're living like it. And, and most of the time, you and me don't. Me too. This is not a finger pointing session. This is me in the bathroom and looking in the mirror and hollering at myself. I'm tired of it. Tired of it in myself. I'm tired of it in our body. I'm tired of it in... The American church, I'm sick and tired. And we should all be sick and tired of half-hearted, lukewarm, show-up-and-do-our-part Christianity. And we ought to be turning this world upside down. Just like these people did. Every person that comes in contact with the follower of Jesus ought to be changed They ought to be interested in what we're convinced of. Because I think it really matters. I'm convinced that following Jesus is the best possible option in the way to conduct myself in my life. Convinced of that. I've never seen anyone truly follow Jesus be sorry for it at the end of their life. I've never seen anyone truly follow Jesus and not say, "That's what I want." That's it. If I live to be that age, that's what I want. I've never heard a father say, "You know, I hope the guy that my daughter falls in love with, I hope that guy doesn't have any of the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, I hope that guy has no patience. No self-control. You know, I hope he's cocky and arrogant and a blowhard. You know, I hope he doesn't work hard. I hope his work ethic is terrible. Right? Nobody says that. You go read the fruits of the Spirit and you think about your, your kid, your son and your daughter. You go, yeah, I want their spouse to be that. I want them to be that. But we forget that we should be that. That doesn't come from effort from squeezing and working and hard and and it doesn't come from that. (laughs) It comes from allowing the truth of God to be convinced in your heart. Following him because of that convincing. Because of that conviction. Following him on a daily basis and letting him change us from the inside out. You don't get more patient by trying hard. I've tried it just makes me more impatient <laughs> that's all that happens but there's been a few times where those spirits of the fruits of the spirits have come out in my life and it's almost like where would that come from that wasn't me I wanted to punch that guy right I wanted to give that person that cut me off a California hottie on the road Church, it's, it's time for us to live with conviction. Amen. It just is. No more playing around. No more lukewarm, half-hearted, just showing up stuff. It's time for us to live with conviction. So living with conviction is living with faith. and Right there in Hebrews, it says you can't please God without faith. Matters that much to Him. Have a quick time of worship. We're going to play a song that talks about who Jesus is. If you know it, join in. If you need to pray, come pray. If you have questions, you can ask me now or later. We're going to have a time of response here. So if you want to stand up, if you want to pray where you are, if you want to come down and pray, or if you just want to sing this song. Now's the time. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress. Oh, you are my portion. You are my hiding place. Oh, I believe. Truth and the no lie.